dying to get to the message, but a couple quick announcements. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, the senior pastor here at Wilden Hills Church, and I'm glad that you're all here. If you're visiting for the first time, we're delighted that you're here, or second time, and, and uh, just ask that you fill out the visitor's uh, card in the bulletin, and if you turn it in in the gathering area, there's, uh, we have a tape for you and some information to help you kind of know what we're about. Uh, if you would please at this time turn off your, your noisemakers, phones, and whatnot. And if your baby is a noisemaker, please uh, c- uh, take advantage of the crying rooms that we have in the back. We have a number of tours that are going on. We had one just before this service of, of the youth center. Uh, this building that we, that, that we have has is, is, uh, got 170,000 square feet. We're only occupying 70,000 square feet of it. We still have 100,000 square feet of tool. That's what it is. It's a tool. It's nothing more than a tool. But it is a good tool. And uh, uh, so we're opening up that area, and you can see where the future youth center is going to be. There's a tour you can take. They'll describe what different things are going to be. It really helps kind of incarnate the vision. And that's what we're, 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 we're trying to do here, to get everybody to get a visual and an auditory on, on what uh, this youth center can be. So uh, look at that and take advantage of those uh, tours. There's a basic training for small group leaders. We need small group leaders trying to get people connected. We don't want to be an event. We want to be a community, and that's about small groups. But we need leaders. And so if you would consider being one, uh, if you're not one now, uh, there's a training here. It doesn't mean that, that by taking this class that you're committing to, to doing it. You're just going to ch- see what's involved in it. And please consider doing that. It's this Wednesday and Thursday. There's a Relationships by Design. It was called Marriage by Design, but you don't have to be married to go to it. So now it's called Relationships by Design, taught by L. Larson. Uh, he's the, the guy that I teach this TNT course with uh, throughout the year. Uh, it's a powerful class on working through communication issues and, and other issues involved in marriage. And so if you're interested in that, uh, that's on May 3rd, 9 to 4. Same day, uh, our own right Reverend Peggy Riley. Where are you? Well, there she is. Uh, it will be holding a Breaking Free conference. And uh, they're just about, you know, Jesus said, Isaiah 61, he's come to set the captives free. And so this is just uh, a, a seminar where you call upon the power of God to break the stronghold of curses and other uh, addictions and, and anger issues or whatever issues, uh, spirit of fear, uh, any of those things that hold you in bondage, uh, you need to be set free from them. So that's what that seminar is about uh, from 9 to 4. There's a Discover Woodland Hills class on May 10th, 930 to 11:30. That's the first step on becoming a covenant partner. We offer that every two months. Think about that. Otherwise, would you just read your bulletins? Uh, there's a lot of information in there. In fact, I have encouraged the first two services to do this, and I want to do it now. Read the bulletin prayerfully uh, for two reasons. Number one, th- there's a lot of ministry things going on, and I'd like you just to be praying over the, those various events, various ministries, and, and whatnot. Just say, Lord, bless that. Lord, move there. But also be open to the Lord using that as an opportunity to pull you in on something. He might say, you need this seminar. Uh, go to it. Or he might say, you're supposed to step into this ministry. Uh, just read that uh, bulletin devotionally, prayerfully. Make it your morning little devotion. <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting that. But anyways, but read it prayerfully. Uh, you have on your seats, all of you should have gotten this Growing in the Spirit commitment card. Next week's the big week. It's our celebration Sunday. We've been asking people for about two months to be praying and, and even fasting to discern from God uh, how they should participate in this. It's a three-year endeavor. It's not about just coming up with upfront cash. It's a three-year commitment. And uh, so we've been asking you to pray about that. Next week, uh, bring your, your commitment card, and we'll just put those in with the offering, and uh, we'll see what God will do. But be praying about that. 
Um, there's also some prayer uh, requests or, or the, the prayer outlines for the Growing in the Spirit campaign still out there on the table in a table tent form, as well as if you haven't got it yet, the project, the whole kind of vision of this Growing in the Spirit. Uh, and if you haven't got that yet, it's good to read up on it so you can be a part of this. It's an opportunity for us to grow individually and collectively like crazy. Uh, for our ministry moment, we've had um, the last two weeks our brilliant and wonderful and creative and not quite sane media team has been putting together a sort of a summation of what this Growing in the Spirit campaign is about. Uh, kids, kids desperately need this. And um, that's what it's about. We've had, really from the start of Woodland Hills Church, a vision uh, and a burden to uh, reach kids. We've said it a number of times, it's worth saying again, that over 80% of all people who come to the Lord come before the age of 18. Most of those come because somebody their age invited them, which tells us right then and there that our main missionaries are our teenagers, and the main mission field is teenagers, and the main obstacle is getting them together. And that's why we're calling this Youth Center The Connection. It's, it's, uh, it's a bridge of sorts, getting our kids and their kids together um, just to, to see the kingdom of God go forward. We want to connect kids, our kids with their kids, connect them with, uh, with Jesus Christ, uh, connect kids to their potential in Christ, want to uh, connect them uh, to various other youth centers, various other youth groups. Wanna, want this to be a magnet for not only the, the kids in this neighborhood, but for other uh, uh, youth as well. We see this as a way of connecting ministries together. You know, if you work out the numbers on this thing, if you just think about this, if, if over 80% of the people who come to the Lord come before the age of 18, a church that's on the cutting edge, if you're really keeping up with the culture, you ought to have more kids bringing adults to Christ than the other way around. Think about it. In fact, if, if you're really on the cutting edge and you're growing, according to that percentage, your youth group should be bigger than your adult group. And that's really our vision. I, I, th that's part of the vision. I'd love to have a youth group of six, 7,000 connected to all the other youth groups in the Twin Cities, and it all makes up one giant army. The main missionaries. The, the youth center will be at one and the same time a, a training place and a mission field right there together. And uh, God, God can, it, it, we can do something here that over the course of our life and maybe beyond, uh, just look at it with satisfaction knowing that it's making a difference for the kingdom of God. Thousands of, and thousands of kids being impacted for this. Now some people have asked, are you ready for this? I mean, have you thought this through? Because uh, you build a youth center that's a magnet for kids all over the Twin Cities. You know, you're going to get some interesting elements from society here. Have you, are you ready for it? And the answer is, no, we're not. So let's drop the whole idea, all right? No. <laughs> we're not ready for it, but we've got three years to prepare. And we're already in preparation. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of training. But see, this gives, this gives a focus to our youth ministry to, as they're in preparation for this. Uh, so we've got three years to get ready. And to some degree, no matter how ready you are, you know how it is walking with God. <laughs> you know, you, you're, a lot of it's on-the-job training. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll be as ready as you can be. Some have thought, isn't this kind of risky? I mean, you're going to be attracting some, some uh, rough elements. And, and uh, isn't this kind of risky? And the answer to that is we are, doing, we are going to do everything possible to put safety on a premium, you know, to, to just keep it a safe youth center. Having said that, of course, there's risk involved. But find me in the Bible where God calls us to play it safe. The only way to play it safe is to get your own little club and, and build up some real tall walls, get a nice isolated fortress where the mean, nasty devil and the mean, nasty world can't ever get you, can't ever influence you, and your knife's safe and secure there. But does that sound like the God of the Bible to you? 
the, the, the Lord says that we are to be, first word out of his mouth about the church, we're to be storming the gates of hell. That doesn't sound like a real safe place to be. Storm the gates of hell. Go after it. And I think one of the greatest lessons we can teach our kids, it's about being risky, about, about daring to get involved in other people's lives. Get on the front lines. Get where there's fire going back and forth, you know. It's a, it's, teach them the value that's not part of this culture, the play it safe, middle of the road kind of a thing. And let's raise up an army, a generation of radical warriors who are willing to make an outrageous difference for the kingdom of God. But that takes getting your hands dirty. That means... I, you know, yes, we're inviting problems uh, to the church. I want problems. Give, bring all those problems here. And let's let the Lord use us to begin to minister to those problems. And that's how people get brought into the kingdom. It doesn't happen by having a nice little holy club safe and secure from the world. So yes, there's risk involved. But where does God call us to play it safe? And that, in fact, is what I'm going to preach on. If I ever can get to my sermon. Okay, let's start right now. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. The kingdom of God goes forward as the people of God are willing to take risks. And I just feel called upon to confront a spirit of self-preservationism and securityism and, uh, and uh, a spirit of fear here. This week before we go into our, our uh, celebration service where we're going to uh, be making a pledge to the Lord. Matthew 25 says this, For the kingdom of God is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. Note that it's his property, but he entrusted it to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to another according to his ability, and then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, and said, Master, you handed over to me five talents, and look, I've made five more talents. His master said, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. And I love this phrase here. Enter into the joy of your master. He's saying, This is fun, isn't it? And the one who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more. As Master said the exact same thing, because it's not about the amount. It's about the willingness to do something with it. Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trust, trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many, many things. Come and participate more in the fun that we're all having. But here's the party kill. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. In other words, you're unjust. I ain't going to tangle with you. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. Exactly what you gave me. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew, did you? You thought you, you know me? You know you want to tangle with me? You knew, did you? That I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Well then, at the very least, you should have invested it in with bankers. And when I returned, I could have got some interest on it if you were going to play it safe. But So take the talent from him and give it to the one who's got ten talents. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. This is the kingdom principle. This is God's economy. But to those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Because they're not doing anything with it. Don't use it, you lose it. As for, those, as for this worthless servant, throw him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's break this down a little bit. 
The talent was the largest unit of currency in the age. It was a large sum of money. So this master leaves his servants some money and says, you know, basically the understanding is make money with it. Uh, The one who invests two, who has two to work with, note this, gets the same praise as the one who has five to work with. And they each have that according to their abilities. There's no single standard in operation here. What matters is not what you have or even what you produce, but your willingness to do something with it. The one who had the least, the one who had the least to lose, did the least with it. He did nothing with it. He was your typical sit-on-it kind of guy, your status quo mediocre guy, don't, don't uh, stick your neck out kind of guy, let's play it safe kind of a guy. He was the, you know, the, the, the bench warmer, the person who stays in the dugout and won't, won't come up and take a swing because you might strike out. His motto might have been something like this, I read this somewhere, come wheel or woe, the only status we know is quo. Come wheel or woe, the only status we know is quo. I think that's the motto of a lot of Christians. He was a conservative in the, in the strict sense of the term. He lived to conserve. Just, my precious, hang on to it, you know. Just hang on to it, don't lose it. Just, just, just keep it right there. The point of the parable is that that kind of middle-of-the-road, play-it-safe, grab-onto-it kind of thinking has no place in the kingdom. That's the whole point of the parable. You can't read into it some eschatological things or whatever. You, the point is to this. When you're in the kingdom, you've got to think. Radical, adventure, risk-taking sort of things. It's not about preserving and conserving. It's about investing and growing and hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's important to read this parable as with the whole of the Bible in its cultural context. There was a, a parable that was told in, uh, in Judaism of the day which sounded a whole lot like Jesus, but had made the opposite point. It kind of comes out of what I think a lot of religion comes out of, and that is sort of a, a need for security, the security religion thing. So in, in the parable, the religious version of the parable of, of Jesus' day, it said this. A master gave two servants various forms of money. He went on a trip. One of them uh, 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 tried to trade it and, and risk, but he lost his tail and, and didn't, he lost the thing. The other one invested, uh, dug it in the ground and sat on it. And when the master came back, he rewarded the one who played it safe and punished the one who risked, who risked things. Jesus takes that parable, widely known, and he reverses the whole thing. That's why this would have been a shocking parable in his culture. He makes the villain a hero and the hero a villain. He says, when you're thinking security religion, you play it safe. But when you're thinking kingdom, you play it radical. You venture out. You risk things. The immediate application of this for our life is basically this. Our talent, what God gives us, is the stuff of life. The stuff of life. As in the parable, it all belongs to him. Every breath you breathe belongs to him. Every thought you think, every heartbeat that goes on in your life, it all belongs to him. He's given it to you on loan. That's the stuff of life. The stuff of life is your life. It's the time that you have, the energy that you have, the resources you have, the, the, the money that you have, the abilities that you have, the aptitudes and the calling that you have. That's the stuff of life. That's your talent. That's the sum that God has given to you. It's also your say-so. You get to have a say in what happens in this world, and your say-so is all of that. And the question that this parable asks us in a very pointed way is this. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you hanging on? Are you conserving? Are you playing it safe? Or are you living on the edge? Are you being radical with it? I got to say that I, I, my... My perception is that a lot of religion today, as with religion in Jesus' day, as with religion throughout history, is driven by and determined by a need for security. It's a security religion. 
In fact, I would submit to you that we often divinize security. It becomes sort of the sacred thing. A lot of people decide what they think is true on the basis of how secure it makes them feel. Well, I don't know if I like that idea. It makes me feel kind of uncomfortable and insecure. I don't think that's true. As though your comfort had anything to do with truth. Where did you get the idea that the world's supposed to line up with your comfort zone? Uh, You know, but but that's how people think. We divinize uh, uh, security. A lot of times people decide what is the will of God based on whether it makes them feel secure or not, based based on whether there's any advantage in it for them. Well, you know, this is sort of the will right here. It feels good to me. It feels convenient to me. It feels comfortable. It doesn't doesn't rock my boat. It doesn't move me out of my convenience zone. It's it's just, it all falls into place. It must be the will of God. But where did we ever get that idea? In fact, I I think a lot of our theology is driven by a need for security. Where do we, we always refer to daredevils. Oh, he's a daredevil. How come all the people who dare have to be devils? Why don't we have a dare angel? Huh? As I read this parable, you know, daring sometimes, to be daring, to be bold, to be adventuresome can be a very godly thing, and I think some angels can be that way. So from now on, when you're referring to a believer, you say dare angel. Oh, he's a dare angel instead of a daredevil. A lot of, a lot of, because of this, this need for security, a lot of, a lot of the, the religious culture, the security religion, sees risk as a bad thing and playing it safe as a maximally good thing. A friend of mine wrote a book called The God Who Risks, John Sanders. Great book, by the way. And man, has he taken flag for that. You know, you're just upsetting the security religion. People, people want to believe that everything is going just as planned. There, there's no risk involved in anything, and, and it's just all wonderful and hunky-dory, and they like to think that way, so it has to be true. Another friend of mine, John Eldridge, wrote a book, Wild at Heart. A great, great book, Wild at Heart. And he talks about the God who rolls the dice once in a while. A God of an adventuresome heart who daringly goes into this future. And it's a great book. And he's starting to take flack for that because he's upsetting the security religion. And I can testify that I've received just a wee little bit of flack here and there for some of my own thoughts on the topic. Just, Just a little bit. God of the possible and other things. But see, I don't know how you can, I honestly don't know how you can read the Bible and, and come away with this, this security religion mindset. Come away with the idea that everything's going just as planned. Come away with the idea that there aren't any risks involved. I can't believe that, that uh, all the rapes and the mutilations and the tortures and the wars and the sin and, and, and all the violence that goes on in the world and, and, the, and, and, and Satan and hell itself is all part of a great plan that God had from the beginning. Seems to me that all that stuff is sin and evil precisely because it's not part of God's plan. And what he's doing with the church is taking his plan and coming against all that stuff. That's not part of his plan, but that's, it's not all prescripted. God took a risk in creating this kind of world. He could have created a nice, secure, sweet, robotic world that automatically obeys his every whim, but what a boring world that would have been as everybody just by pre-programming thinks whatever God wants them to think and does whatever God wants them to do. Instead, God created this marvelous, dangerous thing called free will. And it's a thing that makes love possible because love can't be pre-programmed. And, and so God decides to create a world where he knows full well that he may end up having his heart broken here, a world that's got the potential to break God's heart. And you read the Bible, and his heart's getting broken all over the place. He gets frustrated. He gets grieved. It's a world where people can rebel, and angels can rebel, and some things can, in fact, go wrong. It's a world where he just might end up being crucified on the cross. As a matter of fact, he does end up getting crucified on the cross. It was a risky world that God created, but he decided to go with it, and he was willing to pay the price. Because it's a world now that's capable of love and love is always worth a risk love is always worth a risk and God's willing to take that risk amen amen 
And the day you stop risking for love is the day you start dying. There's always a, a risk involved in love, and a lot of us here have been burned by that, but it's worth it. The alternative to never risk and never love and to play it safe and stay in the middle of the road is just not living. God is a God who takes risks because he's a God of love. And he creates and he redeems a people who are called to make risks. I don't know where we got the idea that, that following God is a safe, secure thing and, and that our security and our comfort and our convenience and our comfort zone can be one of the ways we decide what is and is not one God's will. Find me one place in the Bible where following God made a person feel more secure. One. Okay, I win. <laughs> over and over and over again, God calls people to do risky stuff. It takes courage to follow God. It's not in your comfort zone. Hey, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur. Ur is where he lived. And uh, he said, you know, but I got a good job. Well, leave it. I got a nice house. Well, leave it. I got things secure here. Well, leave it. I got friends all over the place. Well, leave it. Where am I going? Ain't going to tell you. <laughs> Maybe when you're 120 years old, you know, I, I, I'm going to bless you, but, but right now I'll give you information on a need-to-know basis. Tell me that didn't involve risks. Man, that's, that, that, that's pushing it. Moses, you came out of Egypt. I want you to go back into Egypt. Why? Well, I want you to talk to Pharaoh. Yeah, he's the most powerful guy on the planet right now, and he's got a mean disposition, likes, likes to put people to death. But you go tell him that your God says to let your, his people go. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you read Exodus 4, and, and Moses is like, you know, he's kind of trying to come up with every excuse in the book. The people won't believe me. Yeah, I got that taken care of. I can do miracles. Well, I can't talk. I stutter. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not eloquent. No, you know, Pharaoh's going gonna to kill me. And, and, and God's got to confront that. But eventually Moses gets the confidence, gets the courage, gets the riskiness to go back down into Egypt. Following God involves risk. It takes boldness. Hey, David, why don't you go slay that nine-foot guy that every other soldier in the, in the, in the country is, is afraid of? Oh, yeah, you're only 15 years old. I know, but, but go ahead and do it. What should I do it with? This armor? No, forget the armor. Take up a slingshot. Throw a stone at the guy. I can just see David. Boy, do I feel secure. But this is in my comfort zone. This is how I know it's the will of God. I, I just, you know, this is so cool. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Definitely, definitely cool. Tell Paul that following God always is about uh, taking the secure route. The guy gets thrown into prison a bunch of times, gets whipped a bunch of times, flogged a bunch of times, stoned a bunch of times, and eventually gets ex executed. That's playing it safe. That's, you know, real, real comfortable. How convenient. I get to have my head chopped off. All the disciples, Jesus goes to them. He says, follow me. Well, what's the retirement plan? <laughs> do, you, do you have an option B here? <laughs> Uh, can we talk about that? Yeah, just follow me right there. Boom, you got to leave your fishing boats. What are we going to have for supper? Well, you, you know, we'll take care of that. There's risk involved in this. And they all end up getting persecuted and they end up getting killed. Following God is about going outside your comfort zone. In fact, I submit to you that every step forward with God involves him stretching us just a little bit or maybe a lot beyond our comfort zone. If you're comfortable in religion, I, 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 that should be a red flag to you. God's in the business of making us uncomfortable because that's how we grow. That's how we get stretched. And until the world is conformed to the will of God, and until we all look like Jesus, we got some stretching to do. And that means he's going to be pushing us and stretching us. There are risks to take, and there's going to be courage involved. Following God always involves a risk. It often involves sacrifice, but it always involves joy as well. God is a joyous God. He loves to give joy. He wants to tell everybody, enter into the joy of your master. 
But the way to do that, the only way to do that is to do what God does, and that is be willing to take a risk. God, what he does, he does out of joy. For the joy that was set before him, it says in, in Hebrews 12, Christ endured the suffering of the cross. And we are made in his image. We find the most joy when we're being like God, when we're risking for the sake of love. We get the joy of making a difference in life. A lot of life is just chasing after the wind, like we said last week. But, but to risk for the sake of love is, is to enter into the joy of having a life that's meaningful. Where the world's a little different because you were around. Uh, having a life that makes a difference, that makes an impact on some people. It's the joy of being able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the joy of entering into love. It's the joy of seeing God show up when you don't know how you're going to pull this thing off. And you'll never find that out until you get in a position where you can't pull it off. If you're always staying in your comfort zone, you never do anything that you can't do. But you start walking on the water, and you, gotta, you need Jesus to make you float. Otherwise, you're going to sink. And that's when you see Jesus come through, praise God. Amen. There's joy in that. Whoa, manna from heaven, water from the rock. It's happening here. You never get there unless you dare to go out into the desert. Following God is risky stuff, but boy, there's joy involved in that joy of storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, joy of being fully alive. You're fully alive when you're living on the edge. I read a bumper sticker one time that said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. <laughs> it's true. I, I like that. Living on the edge. You're most fully alive. This is why people go skydiving and go down rapids and and climb mountains. They're, they're tapping into something that's an essential part of being human. It's that adventuresome side of us. You see, we, we were created in the image of God, and God is, a, is an adventurous God. And we are most fully human. We're most fully alive, most fully awake. When we're living life as an adventure, when we're, when we're, when we're risk-takers, we were made to be adventurous. We were made to be risk-takers. We were made to be outrageous lovers. We were made to live in freedom, not in bondage. We're made to live with abandon. We're made to, to pursue heroic dreams. We're most ourselves most fully alive and most walking in the joy of the master when we're doing that. That's who we really are. It may be, in fact, I'm sure it is to some degree for all of us that the matrix of this world, you know what I mean by that? The pattern of this world, the system of lies of this world has beat us into sort of a submission, beat us into a mediocrity, beat us into the, a middle-of-the-road kind of thinking, but it's not who you essentially are. Tap into that core of your being created in the image of God. Think back in a time when you used to hear the words playing it safe as being boring. You didn't want to play it safe. Think back and maybe it's way back to a time before you, you, you learned that the world was a scary place and, and you always got to play it safe. Uh, think back to a time when you, you believed that you were going to make a difference. You were going to be somebody. You were going to leave the world a different place. No, you weren't just going to be an ordinary person. You're going you're gonna to be a princess or a, or, or a prince or it's a hero of some sort. You were going to do something. Think back there. Before you heard the, heard the words, you can't do it. It's too scary. People will laugh. You'll be weird. Before you heard those lies... Get in touch with that. Before you, before you were conditioned by the matrix of this world that beat the creativity and the radicalness and that, that cutting-edge image of God adventure out of you, think back, get in touch with that. You know, as a boy, I painted pictures, wild purple and jade green, with these fluorescent yellow birds flying free, filling out the scene. I'd laugh and sing and dance as I spun on my fine work till the teacher told me, stop it, you're painting like a jerk. See, birds, they're mostly brown, and the clouds are all bland white. Are you dumb or just plain stupid? Now get your painting right. If you want to pass my class, you must paint just what you see. 
She was training me to see the world of demon mediocrity. You got to think right, act right, talk right, and be uptight. What's weird, you must suppress so you're fitting with the rest. Hey, you want security? You got to love normality. So don't soar high or sink too low. Let the crowd tell you where to go. They'll dictate every move. They'll find your niche and find your groove. And if they see you're not in sync, they'll say you're weird. They'll say you stink. It's, it's not safe and it's too scary. To be radical and vary from the safety of the herd and to rest, that's just absurd. So forget your dream, be real. And learn how not to feel the pull to be free from demon mediocrity. All right. Oh. All right. Yo. They always, they always walk like that. I don't know why. Why do they do that? I'm here to tell you this morning that they lied to you. Whoever told you that God was an ogre and you got to live your life in fear, so just conserve. They lied. And whoever told you that the middle of the road is the right place to be, they lied. Whoever told you that life's too scary, that it's, a, that it's a terrible thing to fail once in a while, they lied. Whoever told you that you're supposed to play it safe and hide your talent in the ground and don't get burned and don't, don't take risks and don't do the adventure and don't dream dreams because you might fall short and that's the worst thing in the world. They lied and it's all a version of the lie out of the pit of hell. And what God is saying here is this. I don't know what your ur is, but if you're staying there out of fear, get out. He wants to call you out. I don't know. I don't know who your Pharaoh is, but, but God's calling you to confront him in Jesus' name. Get the courage. Live with a little bit of abandon. If you get killed, so what? It was dust anyways. Take a risk. Take a swing. Step out of the, uh, up to the plate. Striking out isn't the worst thing in the world. And maybe there's a Goliath in your life, and out of fear, you're staying back. But God's calling you out to say, face that Goliath and take it down. Because the real you isn't this pathetic middle-of-the-road you. No, the real you is an adventuresome you, a radical you, a risky you. The real you is a child of God you, fill with the spirit of God you. The real you is a redeemed you, a warrior you, a passionate you, a vibrant you, a living you. The real you is I'm filled with the Holy Ghost you. The real you is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me you. The real you is a dynamic I got the river of God and the power of God flowing through me right now kind of a you. The real you is the one who knows that God has not given to me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's the real you. Claim it. That's the real you. Live it. That's the real you. Get out of Ur, go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh. That's who he's created us and called us to be. And now you're in the image of God and now you're fully alive and you start to live in the joy of the master. Fear is one of the all-time great lies and one of the all-time great inhibitors. We lose so much because of fear. We never get out there and explore it. Let me say two more things about, about, about this. Number one, the direction and quality of your life will be determined by what you do at, at uh, high-risk moments. Every decision we make affects our life, but, but this is a decision. It's what we do at those points of decisions. When you say at the altar, I do. You know, a lot of risk involved that. Of course, if you, if you say, I don't, that's also a risk because you might, might miss out on the best thing that's ever happened to you. It's about a risk. I look back on my life, and, and the, the, the quality and the course has been determined by the doors I was willing to walk through when I was terrified. First sermon I ever preached, oh, man, I, 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 oh, it, was, it, was, it was terrifying. You know, but, but, but you, step, you walk through the door. What the Lord taught me of right around that time in my life was never say no to anything because of fear. Now, you may say no to it for a lot of good reasons. That's fine. Nothing wrong with saying no. But if your main reason is, I can't do it, I'm scared, it will never work, I, I might strike out, I'll be embarrassed, you just rebuke, rebuke that sucker in Jesus' name because that is not of God. 
See, it, it, fear, it, it's just not of God. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. And that commitment has made all the difference in my life. I found that the difference between people who make an impact in the world and those who don't is it's not the number of talents they have. It's not an inheritability. It's that they were willing to step up and take a swing. Showing up is 90% of the task. People show up, boom. Most of the people won't show up, so they take a swing. And once in a while, they hit it, and everyone thinks they're a hero. There's plenty of other people who could have hit it farther, but they were afraid of striking out. Stand up, take a swing, get involved in the game, live on the edge a little bit. That's what determines the quality of your life, the direction of your life. It's the thing that sets the destiny of your life. Is there an area of your life, I just ask you this question, where you're saying no out of fear? Talked about a dozen people after the first service who that's exactly where they're at. You know, there's something you could do. Maybe it's a job offer or a relationship that you want to, you know, explore. Or maybe it's a ministry that, that you think you might want to go into. Or maybe it's a conference that you think you're supposed to attend. Or, or, or may, maybe it's the way the Lord's leading you on, on this campaign and it's kind of scary. Is there something in your life where you're saying no to it? And the main reason is because you're just scared. And I want to encourage you right now to get the spirit of, 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 a, of a Moses, of a David. It's the same spirit that's living in you. In fact, even in a more powerful fashion. And he's saying, go for it. Half the time in my life, you know, I, I, there's doors I didn't want to walk through. It was, it was kind of terrifying. But God's, I'm walking the plank out there. And you just feel the Lord going, come on, get out there. Just, just go with it. Now, you've got the power to say, no, I will not. But you're going to lose. The kingdom needs you to say yes. And you need to say yes. For you to be all you can be, you need to say yes. And things really do genuinely hang on it. Say yes to the Lord. Walk through that door. Be bold. Worst case scenario, you strike out. So what? We've all struck out. You should have heard me in my first couple sermons. In fact, sometimes now there's strikeouts. But you know what? You show up. You take a swing. You go for it. Number two, again, I want to just remind you that there's blessings in this. There, there, there's, because this is life, this is, this is about life, every area of life. This is what it is to be fully alive. God puts a premium blessing on it. Premium blessing. And, and, and the, the verses just go on and on. I, I don't have time to read all of these. Uh, here's just a sampling of them. Um, you know, for, for, for to uh, see. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or fields. Oh, they all felt secure doing that, didn't they? No, no, that was kind of risky stuff. But Jesus says, when you've, get, when you've sacrificed for my name's sake, you'll receive a hundredfold and you'll inherit eternal life. Uh, Jesus says, given it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will fall into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Try to find your life. Try to conserve it. You're going to lose it. Invest it. Live it radically. Then you find it. That's what Jesus teaches all over the place. Uh, Paul says this. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This applies to every area of life. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you get to be happy with this. You may share abundantly in every good work. You get to be the giver. Man, it's more blessed to give than receive. And so you get in this loop. You get in this cycle. If you're faithful in little, he'll make you faithful over much. If you're, but the way to enter that promise, it starts with a risk. In fact, it always involves a risk. It's never necessarily the secure thing to, to do. We are next week going to be asking everybody to, uh, to, to make a commitment, a three-year commitment uh, to this vision that God has put on us. And it involves all the areas we've talked about the last couple of weeks. In some ways, it, it is admittedly kind of a risk. I talked to a pastor a couple months ago when I was just kind of sharing, you know, pa pastor's talk. And uh, just sharing kind of where, where we're at. And he says, well, do you have a good exit strategy? God always have an exit strategy. And uh, I said, well, like, what, what, what do you mean exit strategy? He goes, well, in case it flops. 
And then he gave me about eight instances of churches that have flopped. He goes, it's very demoralizing and very embarrassing. You need a good exit strategy. What happens if you don't make it? I said, well, we've got three years. It's not like we're going to get $9 million, you know, right up front. We don't need $9 million cash. We just need over three years. He goes, yeah, still, that's, that's an awful lot. And, and uh, uh, you know, you're telling me that, that you don't have the three, five, ten people who can cover that on, on their own. So it's a big risk. What if you don't get it in three years? And my response was, then we'll do it in four or five. Or six, it's a God vision. It's not negotiable. We're just going to keep swinging. And, and, and sooner or later, we'll hit it. That's how you do it. You know, the children, the children of Israel didn't get into the promised land when God initially wanted to, but they eventually got there. The question is, you know, uh, are, are we going to benefit from that up front? But the, the, the final thing, he says, well, what if you just totally strike out? I mean, what if you raise 800000 and you need $9 million? And I, I finally said this. You know what? Better to stand up and take a swing and strike out than to never take a swing because you're afraid of striking out. And I'd rather, I'd rather confront my maker and say, we went for it, but we didn't get it, than to say, we were afraid of not getting it, so we wouldn't go for it. Which one do you think the master would be most happy with? The failure is not to try. The success is in going for it. The, the risk. There's a guy... You may have heard of him, William Borden, who uh, graduated from Yale in 1909. He was one of the, uh, a child of one of the wealthiest families in America and uh, had his future just laid out. Could have had the good life uh, for sure. As a senior in college at Yale, he got the call of God to become a missionary to China. And people thought he was crazy to, to leave all that good life and go on this mission field. In fact, he became kind of known nationally as the millionaire missionary. So he went on the mission field. He had to go to Cairo for some, a year of preparation before he went to become a life missionary in China. And while in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis and eventually died. And of course, all the naysayers, and there's always naysayers, and all the backseat drivers, and there's always backseat drivers. You know, all the play it safe people who, who get you know, intimidated by radical stuff, they always have got an opinion about this. Did he fail? He wrote on a piece of paper just before he died, when he couldn't talk. It was the last communication we have from him. He wrote this slogan, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. I love that. It would be an honor to be buried with that on your tombstone. You know, you went for it. You, you took a swing. And maybe by the world standards, the guy was an idiot and, and lost. But you know what? When he got to heaven, he's going to hear words that not everyone's going to hear. And that is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You went for it. You took a swing. So the, the, the point is this. I, let God stretch you. And I want to apply that to every area of life. Let God stretch you. Be willing to be bold. You will strike out sometimes. So what? That's not the worst thing in the world. It's education. <laughs> and, and God uses it to, to, to build you to be who you are. As we go into this final week, I'm, I'm going to end with this word. David, um, I, I really believe we can do this in three years. I believe we can do this. David, when he went to raise funds for the temple, and it's a biblical precedent that I think that I want to repeat here. He, um, as a leader, he knows that the job of a leader is to lead. And so he started by disclosing what he was giving to the temple. Uh, he saw that leaders in, in a lot of areas don't have the right to privacy because they lead with example. So he disclosed what he gave to the people. And then the leaders, the rest of the leaders under him, they gave. And they didn't individually disclose, but they disclosed the whole amount that they gave. And then it says the people, in seeing how they were bought in, in seeing this, rejoiced, so they gave. And that's how leadership works. So I, I, you need to know how bought in I am to this. 
My wife and I, a number of a months ago, decided, uh, really felt that, that our pledge for this three-year campaign will be $30,000. Uh, we're going to shoot for fifty. Uh, but that will depend on, on uh, uh, God blessing a couple of books that I'm writing. And I said, Lord, all the royalties will go there. So if you want, it's to your advantage to really bless these books, Lord. <laughs> I like to put, I like, like, like to, you know, let, let, let the ball be in his court. Well, God, I would have done 50, but you didn't bless the, well, so, but, 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 but that's our pledge. And, and it is a stretch for us. You know, we're not rich uh, by our culture standards. We are by global standards, but it's a real stretch for us. And just to make it interesting, God has then placed a couple more responsibilities on our lap since we made that commitment. Uh, it's exciting. It's adventuresome. Where's the manna from heaven? <laughs> now it would be a good time, God, but, you know, he'll come through. The leadership, we went to the leadership and we said we'd like you to, to make pledges ahead of time so that we can, you know, lead people with it, so they can see buy-in. We have, as of right now, collected 82 pledges, 82, uh, representing about 150 households. And so far, we have pledged by that leadership uh, $1.2 million. Praise God. Amen. $1.2. <laughs> That's out of 82. If you combine that with the $350,000 we have already raised, we are up to almost $1.6 million. Um, and and that you consider that that's more than we raised as a congregation to get into this building. God's growing us. He's stretching us. This, this is good. But we need everybody to be seeking God on this. And we, the only thing we've ever asked is, you pray, ask God, let Him stretch you, and obey. And together we can make this happen. I want us to stand, and I'm going to close in a prayer to confront fear in our life. Uh, this this uh, very pervasive thing that happens to us that keeps us from being the radical people God wants us to be. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never surrendered your life to Him, I want to really encourage you to do that. You need to do that. Over to my right, there's some people at a table who will just explain what that means, give you some information, be glad to pray with you, and, and, and start that process happening. Would the prayer team come forward as I pray? And if you're here with any need whatsoever and you want to have prayer for that, I encourage you to come forward and get that prayer. Father, make us bold. Father, give us that spirit of fearlessness. You have not given to us a spirit of fear, no, Lord, but it's a spirit of power because it's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of self-control. Father, cause that lion to well up inside of us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would activate in some of us something that's been dormant for years and years and years, stuffed down, suppressed, and suffocated by a, by a, by a spirit of fear. But Father, uh, activate that, that wild child. Activate, Lord God, that adventuresome quality that is inside of us. Lord, that part that looks so much like you. I don't know what it looks like in every individual life, Lord, but I pray, Lord God, that you would create in us a spirit that would never say no to an opportunity because we're intimidated or because we're afraid, Lord God. Lord, just let that not be part of the equation. Help us to walk with a kingdom perspective that we're about you, not about anything else. To trust you and nothing else, Lord God. To live for you and nothing else, Lord God. And, and help us then, Lord God, not to cling to our life, but to lose it that we may find it, Lord. That we may know the joy of the Master, Lord God. That we go out of here as the radical, bold, adventuresome, spirit-filled disciples that you've called us to be. Let it happen, Lord. Let it happen. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Go out, get radical. The altar's open. We love you.